0: Today, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to our 13th episode of Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia. Our theme for Series 6 taking the Australian ecosystem from good to great, continues with a deep dive into deep tech. Morse Micro is an early player in an emerging Wi-Fi standard that could transform the Internet of Things. But to get there, they've got to design and manufacture a new generation of chips. That's pretty much as tech as it gets. What does it take to make your own chips? Find out on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by MYOB. Running a startup is pretty cool, but doing the books isn't. MYOB makes it easier. For your free trial, visit myob.com slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by the University of Technology, Sydney, supporting students to become startup founders. UTS is engaging, inspiring, and connecting students to take the leap as startup founders. Check out what they're up to at startups.uts.edu.au. And This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Campaign Monitor. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com slash twist. There's a wonderful chart that gets posted occasionally to the internet that shows Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the things you absolutely need. It starts at the bottom is a pyramid with air, and then then there's a section with water and then there's a section with food and then there's a section with, you know, f- whatever it is, and then all the way up to self-actualization at the top. But the chart that you see on the Internet, someone has scribbled something underneath air, and they've written the word Wi-Fi on it because it's become so fundamental to our way of life. And, in fact, there's an even updated version of that with one underneath Wi-Fi, and it says battery. So we have this idea that the way we perceive the world, the way we're working in the world, is now being shaped by the way we're connected in the world. And our next guest is working to transform that connection. Andrew Terry is the co-founder and co-CEO of Morse Micro. Now, we've heard a little bit about Morse Micro from Mike Nichols because he's part of Main Sequence, which is one of the VC firms that has funded Morse Micro. But Morse Micro is going to be transforming the way that we wirelessly connect to our devices. So, Andrew, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us, in essence, what is the innovation at the heart of Morse Micro? So, as you as you said,
1: um, Wi-Fi has transformed the way people connect to um, devices. So far, that's mainly been uh, the way uh, the internet gets onto devices that people use. For example, uh, your uh, laptop or your phone. Mm. Um, the way the future is going, there'll be many, many more devices connected to the Internet, and this is known as the, the Internet of Things. Right. So uh, what we're doing at Morse is we're making a new type of Wi-Fi that's specifically designed to connect those Internet of Things devices
0: to the Internet. So, And how is that different than the, than this, the standard Wi-Fis that we would find in my computer or in my phone? So the standard Wi-Fi uh,
1: today very high bandwidth; it transfers information very, very fast, right. gigabits per second. Um, the consequence of that is it uses uses a lot of power. So that that's why your phone lasts one day, two days if you're lucky. It's got a large, expensive lithium-ion battery right. that you need to recharge on a on a daily basis. For the Internet of Things devices, we need to get that power consumption right down so that we can run for for many years mm. of small, cheap coin cell batteries. Right. And so that's the That's really the core of what we're doing at Morse Micro. We're making a Wi-Fi
0: that's that's very, very low power to enable the Internet of Things. So when we're talking about those sorts of things, they could very well be, for example, sensors that are in the field at a farm, right, or agricultural sensors that are put on sheep or cattle. And these are the kinds of things where you can't go in and change the battery, or at least you don't want to have to go in and change the battery very often because then the maintenance cost outweighs the value of the data that you're getting from these sensors,
1: Yeah, that's right. Really, power consumption has a huge impact on the cost of uh, an IoT deployment. Um, Right from the start, in the the bill of materials, so if you've got a large battery, it's more expensive, and you've got a bigger enclosure, which is more expensive, right through to the maintenance cost over the lifetime of a deployment. Um, It's so expensive to go around every few months or even every year to replace batteries. So, really, you want uh, the batteries to be lasting many, many years. Okay.
0: So... When you're talking about this as Wi-Fi, does it fall under the same Wi-Fi standards we think of, you know, type B? So it's 802.11, A, B, G, N, A, C. I think I've got most of the Wi-Fi standards out there now. I can't remember, but I think that's – is this – in that family, is it a different version of this same standard?
1: Yes, it, yes, it is. So Wi-Fi is based on a technical standard, which is 802.11. Right, and then there are the various incarnations of that. ABG yeah. um, AC was the last uh, last released one. Um, there's going to be a new
0: faster one called AX. Um, they're running. They're running yeah. out. It's like I, the iPhones. They're running out of things to put after them that, to call it. The, here's the new shiny Wi-Fi. Right.
1: That's right. And that that uh, that series of standards has been about going faster and faster. Right. Um, so that you can download stuff to your phone faster. Um, now the standard we're working on is called 80211 ah. So it's still part of 802.11. It comes with all the the sort of great benefits of that that standard. So it's secure. It's spectrally efficient. It's it's well proven but it 's been redesigned specifically for the IOT, so instead of being focused on very uh, fast data transfer it 's got more of a focus on uh, further reach,
0: lower power, and higher capacity. So what are we talking about when we say further reach because an average sort of AC signal will go what maybe a hundred meters if there aren 't a lot of walls in the way
1: yeah yeah that 's right um, so the conventional Wi-Fi, AC, goes around about 100 metres. Our range will be 10 times that. So we reach out to to a kilometre. To a kilometre, okay. And and penetrate through objects better. So building materials, bricks, walls, um, AH is on a lower frequency. Um, lower RF frequency, so it goes through objects right. um, better.
0: So is this then using some of the bands that have been freed up because television, t- uh, analog television broadcasting bands have been released? N- no, no. There's, there's actually a separate effort to, to
1: do with that, um, but our, our Wi-Fi is in the um, sub-1 gigahertz ISM band. So ISM band's industrial, scientific, and medical, right. and there's a band at sub-1 gigahertz... Where we're working, there's a band at 2.4 gig and 5 gig where
0: conventional Wi-Fi works. Right, exactly. And Bluetooth sits, I think, in the 2.4 gig band as well. Okay, so you're sitting below all of these. And, of course, the lower the frequency, the more penetration it has through objects. That's right. More penetration and, and greater range. Okay. All right. So that's the basics of what you're doing. Is what you're doing unique? Are you the only folks working on this right now? So um
1: there's a few other startups working in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no there are no none of the big so companies Qualcomm working.
0: hasn't suddenly decided oh my gosh we have to do this or Intel hasn't decided that they that they need to do this as as part of their corporate strategy.
1: That that's right. Um th- those guys are keeping an eye on it yeah. um, but they're not actively Working well, on presumably, solutions. what they'll do
0: is they'll purchase you or someone else when you get big <laughs> enough, because that's how they operate with this, right? They tend to buy in the technologies before they get overwhelmed by them. Yeah, that that's absolutely right, and
1: and I've seen this firsthand. I used to work at Broadcom um, on the chips for the iPhones, yeah. um, and th- those companies are very very good at producing um, pr- producing these very fast, complicated Wi-Fi chips. Yeah, um, but they're not so uh, well set up for going after new um new markets and and brand new designs
0: okay so uh, listening to a conversation you were having here at the studio before we came in to the studio to record this it sounds like you're now well on the way to to designing the chips that will be able to provide this bandwidth technology yeah
1: yeah that's right so um, we've been going for about two years. Um, we've produced a number of test chips uh, to validate the the core circuitry, mm-hmm. um, and now towards the end of this year, we're going to release a or, or send to production a a chip that's like a fully formed product um, to sample to to customers, so that people can start actually using this technology.
0: All right. So that process of actually getting to silicon is slow and expensive, at least in terms of how most software companies would tend to think of their own uh, life cycle. It's taken, you say, two years, and it's going to be about two years until you go from, I guess, forming the company to the chip. So let's step back. Two years ago, how did the founders come together? What was the story of the formation of Morse Micro? Were you folks already working together on another project? How did that happen? Did it come out of the CSIRO or...?
1: Yeah, so um, my co-founder, Michael Donnell and I were working at Broadcom in Sydney, um, so we we're working on the Wi-Fi chips for uh, for the iPhone, mm-hmm. and we saw that um, there's this opportunity for the, the Internet of Things mm-hmm. and the new Wi-Fi standard, mm-hmm. um, and we also saw that the Broadcom wasn't interested in pursuing it, because right. um, they're making too much money on the chips for the Innovator's the dilemma. Yeah, right. exactly, yes. Right. Um And so we saw this opportunity and we thought, we'll we'll have a go, we'll take this on. And so as Michael and I founded the company, we were quickly joined um, by another uh, ex-Broadcom colleague Um, and then uh, we ramped the team up to about six people
0: uh, for the first few months and then so if the three leads are from Broadcom, did Broadcom ever get twitchy? Because I know particularly in that space, because that space is so heavily protected by patents. Did Broadcom get twitchy that you were going to be leaving with IP? And did they have to sort of inspect you around that when you were forming the company to make sure that you weren't taking anything out the door?
1: No, no. So
0: we were very careful. I mean, you'd
1: be, you'd be yeah. stupid yes. to to start working on a project like this while you're still working for another company. Yeah. That's just uh, r- ridiculous. Um, and so uh, like, we've got a good relationship with the people at, at Broadcom. There's level of professionalism and trust there. Uh, so that no, that wasn't a problem and for And that's
0: us. always, I, at, the, at the end of the day, that's always the best strategy, right, is yeah. to be transparent and trustworthy, and then it prevents anything from happening. All right, we're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to come back and talk about what it takes to build a global market in telecommunications. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. MYOB saves businesses time, helps improve cash flow, gets invoices paid faster, gives real-time visibility of profit and loss, and makes payroll easy. With MYOB, you can create, send, and track customized invoices. This is awesome because Australian businesses can wait on average 43 days to get paid. With MYOB, your clients can pay you directly from your invoices. People who use the MYOB online invoicing solution get paid four times faster. MYOB software will let you know when you've been paid, then update the accounts. You don't have to lift a finger. MYOB's online solutions make pay runs quick and easy, ensuring all of your tax and superpayments are compliant with the Australian tax office. You can save half a day every month on processing employee pay. MYOB's mobile app means you can create a quote on the job, send invoices straight from the app, and even get paid on the same day you invoice. 1.2 million businesses in Australia and New Zealand use MYOB. Startups, sole traders, and small businesses, all the way up to companies with hundreds of staff. Whatever your stage or size, MYOB has a solution for you. Twista listeners will get a free 30-day trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will also get $100 in cash. Go to myob.com twista for your free trial today. And we're back talking to Andrew Terry, the co-CEO and co-founder of Morse Micro. What does it mean to be a co-CEO? We do hear that term occasionally, and I think most people think, wait, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Because how do you need to work in a situation where you have not just a co-founder, but a co-CEO and you're sharing power? yeah I, I i understand that it's a bit un,
1: unconventional um and people have got uh, some people have got issues with it but for michael and i this works really well um we're in constant communication with each other we're very much synced up on on the direction of the company um and so it it's got some advantages uh, for example um, we've been able to scale the company to 20 people without having to um, add another layer of of management, right. um, and we've got we've got each other's backs, so we can get on with the technical work that we're both very good at, um, and we've got we've got backup for for each other. If one of us was to become um, CEO, then that I mean that person would no longer have any time for for technical work, and that right. would be.
0: Uh, a major disadvantage to the the company, right? Which is, while you're while you're a small company, is you know that technical expertise is actually probably worth more to the company than simply being a good CEO. Not that that's not very important, but I think probably at this early stage, you're absolutely right around that. that That implies that there's a level of trust between the two of you that either of you will be making decisions, and the other one will be on the hook for that decision, and that both of you have to be all right, uh, all right with that. Yes yeah yeah and that that works well for us okay look at that it's 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 to your credit that it absolutely works well for you all right now how much money have you had to raise to because hardware is hard and chips not only are hard but they're expensive right not just because it takes time but because there's a lot of fabrication involved in this so how much money have you had to raise along the way to get to where you are
1: So, to date, we've raised around uh, five million. Okay. Um, Now, uh, traditionally, chips are thought of as as very expensive, um, and there are, you know, the the costs of going to mass production are, are high. Um, but there are a few things that have allowed us to reduce uh, reduce the cost of that. We can get get on prototype runs right. where we kind of share the tooling cost with other companies yeah. um, for for a very reasonable price. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, slipping a few chips in while someone else is making some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've uh, we make heavy use of uh, cloud computing, right. um, so we, we use a lot of compute power in, in simulations. Right. Um, a uh, semiconductor company ten years ago would have had to have had their own their own servers and someone to manage that. Okay. For us, it, it's very easy. We just spin
0: up the the compute. Uh, power when we need it. Right. Okay, so then, and this is some of the case, I guess, where software is literally eating some of the expenses in hardware design. And presumably you're also taking advantage of the fact that most chip designers now are what they call fabless, where you actually don't, aren't, are not going to need a fabrication facility. You can actually contract out for that, right? Yeah, yeah that, that's absolutely right. So um,
1: even for the past few decades, very, very few uh, semiconductor companies run their own fabs yeah. uh, because that costs billions and billions of dollars billions and and with every successive generation it
0: goes up by a factor of two or three or more that's that's right. right yeah okay so you're now leveraging i guess economies of scale in the sense that other people are building the fabs for you you're leveraging economies of scale because other people are spinning up the server instances that you can now run your simulations on the one place that you can't just snap your fingers and spin up you have this chip now you you are going to have to spin up a global sales organization so that people start using that chip, and I'm assuming that as a startup, you've thought through what that means. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, um,
1: this we're very much a business to uh, business uh, company. Um,
0: there are... And, and let's uh, consumers don't buy Wi-Fi chips. They might buy a Wi-Fi router, but that's because an yeah. OEM has built a Wi-Fi chip into it, right? Yeah. Um,
1: and so there's not that many companies globally that are capable of buying millions of, of chips. So you have a, a short list of customers. Yes. Oh, that's yes, okay. Absolutely. So
0: that's a very good thing because it's relatively inexpensive. Yeah.
1: But you, and so if. have And, and of course, the the marketplace is global. Um, And so while we've got the uh, R&D team Mm. in Australia, where Mm. that makes a a lot of sense because of the expertise in Wi-Fi and the the government incentives like the R&D refund is good for us, Um, we're building out sales in the U.S. at the moment. So we've got a sales guy in Boston. Because presumably most of your clients are U.S.-based or have... That's right. So it's between um, China...
0: Yeah, and the U.S. Yeah, okay. All right, so 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 then it makes sense. So you have are right, So have you set up an office in China yet? Or no, we you, haven't. But we the, haven't yet. That's clearly that's, on the roadmap. Yeah. And the U.S. office. You said you have an office in Boston. So yes. My, my old hometown. Shout out to Boston. Okay. All right. So 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 it sounds like then that's it. Does that then mean that? Those, the folks that you're selling to, will also then need to have a sell through into the devices that incorporate your chips. You see what I'm saying? So, in other words, you're in order for. AH standard to take off. There's going to have to be all of these devices, these sensors and things that are employing AH. Are we starting to see that happening or is this going to become a chicken and egg scenario where in order for you to be able to sell the chips, there's going to need to be the devices, but the devices won't exist because there aren't the chips? So the best
1: markets for us to begin with Mm. are the ones um,
0: where... It's a new deployment, so mm-hmm. think
1: of uh, agriculture.
0: Okay, um, so where there any, aren't a lot of connected sensors yet, but there clearly will be. Absolutely. So
1: if you think about um, making an IOT, IoT deployment on a farm, right. you don't mind putting in a new base station. Right. So it's a complete solution, and that's the same in in kind of all of the industrial IoT scenarios. The only one where we've got, and and that's by far the biggest market. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, agriculture, logistics, yeah. um, retail, for example,
0: um, smart cities. And, and to, get, to to put this in context, right now, if I have a big sort of warehouse, I have to put up a lot of base stations to get coverage in that warehouse. If I have connected things talking, like the robots or whatever else is talking in there, and with with Morse microchip, I might just have to put up one base station. It would cover the entire facility. That's right. So it, it's
1: it's a real Problem to get connectivity in these in these large buildings. Um, a lot of it is wired, which is very expensive. Yeah. Um, conventional Wi-Fi, the range is, is is so short; it doesn't really make sense. It so can be blocked by yeah all sorts of things. So, although we're ten kilometers, uh, ten times the distance in range, yeah. that's a hundred times the area, a uh, thousand times the volume. So, yeah, indeed, where you'd need to deploy. Um, hundreds of conventional Wi-Fi base stations, you'd only need to deploy
0: one AH base station. So it sounds like there's a very compelling economic proposition around this, that people may not have taken the plunge into certain kinds of connectivity and automation that happens because of that, because the infrastructure costs would have been far too high to make it economically sensible. And all of a sudden, the economics flip.
1: Yeah, so we, we see the, the Internet of Things does exist already, um, but it's restricted to very high-value uh, use cases. For example, vending machines, um, where you don't mind paying a lot of money, mm. and there's a, a, a ready power supply there in order to get your information onto the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of other use cases, um, a lot of other value to be had by deploying uh, deploying things that maybe don 't have such a high uh, value per unit, and that 's where our technology is really going to to help so
0: are we so I guess then what we 're going to be looking toward is the fact that you 're going to be ideally manufacturing millions of chips that will be going into these base stations and then going into all of these sensors when we 're talking about one of these sensors if we 're talking about something that 's an agricultural sensor. You're talking about the fact that the battery would need to be replaced how often on something like this in an average use case? You've probably you've done this math clearly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So um, for sensors, yeah. um, you could run off a coin cell battery, so those very small round ones, um, for four or five years. Wow. Um, but it's not just about sensors. There's there's a lot of other use cases. For example, video. Um, surveillance cameras yeah. are getting very uh, there's a lot of growth there yeah. um, not just for consumers but in sort of logistics mm. and, and even agricultural applications mm-hmm. um, there's you know it, some people think of iot as just sensors but there's yeah. there's far more there's there's actuators there's video there's sensors
0: yeah yeah okay all right so then this could easily be one of the enabling technologies that allows IOt to be more i guess coherent and widespread, like in fact that the internet of things can 't really exist without an internet connection yeah, and that 's always been the part that we can kind of do, and we can certainly do with certain kinds of our devices really well, and we could do wired really well, but when it comes to wireless. What we've needed is now this new 802.11 dot ah standard in order to see a global, I guess, exponential growth in the number of applications. Is that what we're seeing? Yes. Yes. All right. So if if Morse Micro is part of that exponential growth, let's go out five years from now. We've been on the air for five years, and I may come back to you in five years and say, "Okay, it's time to do the follow up interview." What does the market growth look like for you and for the AH sector? Do, you must have done some market projections for how big total AH, this this new Wi-Fi standard is going to be in five years' time. How big do you expect it's going to be?
1: Yeah, so th- there's some massive, massive numbers mm. floating around on on the size of the IoT. Um you know, they're, they're measured in tens
0: of billions of units in, in the right. near future. Well, there's going to be 40 billion units deployed somewhere 2021, 2022, yeah. right? So that's not yeah. surprising.
1: Yeah. And so um, some of those units will will need, like, super high range and um, mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the cellular IoT standards, so will will take care of that. Um, but for everything else, um,
0: AH is... is is the solution so so you're talking reasonably you could expect that there will be billions of units a year in five years time shipping with the ah standard yeah and how much of that market does morse micro intend to own all of it (laughs) andrew terry thank you very much for joining us on this week in startups australia thank you University of Technology Sydney recognizes the incredible potential of the next generation of Australian startup founders. UTS believes entrepreneurship is about doing, inspiring students to take that first step on their founder journey, then encouraging them to keep going. UTS Startups supports student founders from ideation stage to launch with one-on-one mentorship and guidance to support them from across the entire startup ecosystem. This new UTS startup model focuses on connecting each founder with what they need, when they need it, as well as forging connections between members of the UTS startups community. Go see their vibrant collaboration space on Harris Street in Ultimo or visit startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. We recently launched a new segment for series six of This Week in Startups Australia, asking all of the many incubator and accelerator programs running across the country to spruik their programs to twist our listeners in their own words. This week, we'll hear from Ryan Watson, who's launching the Wellbeing Enterprise
2: Lab. Take it away, Ryan. I'm Ryan Watson, head of marketing and communication at New Horizons. New Horizons has been around for a little over 50 years Um, It started back in 67 when we partnered with BP in a world first social enterprise uh, that provided employment opportunities for people with psychiatric disabilities um, to work at a service station in Sydney. Since then we've grown to become one of Australia's most diverse social enterprises with services spanning aged care, disability, indigenous, uh, homelessness, justice, mental health and youth Um, and each year we support thousands of vulnerable and disadvantaged people to enhance their wellbeing. Today we deliver probably over one and a half million hours of support a year with services typically involving advice, planning and coordination, uh, activities that promote social inclusion and participation. And we provide assistance for people in and around their home um, and vital clinical and specialist services we've always had a really strong focus on using our unique skills and experience to solve social issues. Uh, We reinvest up to a million dollars a year of our own funds into innovative initiatives that either address a service gap or an unmet need in the community uh, or provide care that is otherwise unfunded. This year, the idea of creating the Wellbeing Enterprise Lab uh, was born, um, and the goal really is to create a social impact incubator and accelerator that you know provides a centre of gravity for innovation uh, in the health and well-being sector. Entrepreneurs that join the Wellbeing Enterprise Lab can expect to be part of a community of like-minded social impact startups. Um, And work collaboratively to define, you know, what the problem is that they're solving, the solution that they offer, uh, and the value that they create for their stakeholders. They'll, you know, certainly be focusing on developing the strategies to grow and scale their business, but they'll also be embedding a mindset within their organization and their people that will enable them to constantly iterate and improve on their service offering. We're launching on the 22nd of October at Sparkfest in Sydney, and we'll be inviting submissions for the first round of intake then, with the program officially kicking off early in the new year. Any for-purpose startup or scale-up with a product or service that solves a social issue is welcome to apply, whether they're for-profit, non-for-profit, or otherwise. For more information, people can visit thewellbeingenterpriselab.org.au.
0: When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, complete with simple drag-and-drop email editor and award-winning 24-7 customer service. Campaign Monitor gives you everything you need to run beautifully designed, professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business. With their gallery of beautiful, professionally designed email templates, all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide, and it's rated highest in customer satisfaction among major email marketing software vendors. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com slash twist. Listeners who sign up and become a customer will receive a free T-shirt. Again, that's campaignmonitor.com slash twist. One of the words we hear used a lot in Startup Land is moonshot, a plan that is so bold, that is so audacious, and so possibly destined to fail that it takes a certain kind of entrepreneur and a certain frame of mind to embrace that risk. And listening to the market for Morse Micro... Listening to their plans and how they have methodically attacked the problems that have faced them as they want to enter this global market, you get the sense that although the opportunity itself is a moonshot, what they're really doing is they're taking advantage of an opening of a market that the established competitors don't have the time or the inclination to seize. That this is the classic innovator's dilemma. When you're making matzah, doing what you do well, you try not to rock the boat. Now, if Morse Micro is successful, they will immediately be snapped up, whether it's from a Broadcom or a Qualcomm or an Intel or whoever it is who wants to establish some sort of supremacy in the new standard for the Internet of Things. And you can see that that has crossed their mind, that they understand the exit here isn't just a billion-dollar business, which they could easily be in a few years, but a billion-dollar purchase by a large company that wants to dominate the next generation of wireless networks. Big thanks to Twister sponsors MYOB, UTS, and Campaign Monitor. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to Andrew Terry and Ryan Watson for joining us on this episode. We've recently rebuilt and relaunched our website at TWISTartupsAUS.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links, and all the stories. So check it out at TWISTartupsAUS.com. We'll be back in a week with more great stories from the heart of Australia's startup community. Until then, this is Mark Pesci, thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.